Delco. What is Delco? Urban Dictionary, maybe the best definition of any place in the history of any place. Delco is the nickname for Delaware County, not just a place to live, it's a way of life. Delco isn't something you obtain with a short visit while you're passing through. Never has been, or don't actually live here, you just won't understand. Delco is something you can spot across the bar while out of town. Speaking of bars, there's 42 to 1 ratio when it comes to bars to libraries. And it's cool to be a 26-year-old bar back. You're just waiting for your bill's big break. Delco people love being from Delco. I don't know if there's anything special from Delco, except being a Delco guy, I kind of like it. Hello, everybody, and welcome in here for episode seven of Delco Baseball. Now with your host, Brendan Ricciardi, who is slowly but surely getting out of the ankle boot that many of you have probably seen me at in the Delco League games and switching over to the brace for the postseason. You know, that's really what it's all about. Can I perform my best doing Game Changer on the iPad and setting up the live stream for Wayne with this injury? I'm going to say yes, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we can... We can hobble our way around the dugout and the brace. But for now, we got a episode with no interview today. I want to talk a little bit more in depth about a little bit of the Delco League. Also, some different stories uh, around Delaware County baseball as a whole. And then over the weekend, leading into the different Delco League playoff series, I'm going to try and have assortment of players and coaches on to kind of, you know, give their teams perspective, see what we should be looking out for. Delco League is tough because you only need six appearances out of 24 games. So a lot of guys have you know, players on their team that we might not know much about because they haven't been here for the entire season. But, you know, we want to make sure everybody is familiar with these guys before we get started with the postseason. And, you know, it's there's been a lot of games. I'll start off with this. Uh, last weekend, I was at the Big 26 Classic, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And then earlier this week, I had some work done with some different teeth and my jaw and, and different dental things that made it very difficult to talk. So I figured I would just kind of wrap up the rest of the Delco League regular season here and you know just get ready for the playoff push. So we have three games left. This is being recorded on Friday afternoon. So we have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday slate of games. And we'll do a quick standings review here to kind of just make sure that everyone's on the same page of what to expect as we go into these final three games to determine the playoff seating. So we'll start at the bottom here with the new 6-7 wildcard game. Usually in the past when there's been seven teams, only the top six will make it and you go from there. But President Nick DeCombe has added a wild card game, which personally I'm a huge fan of. One game playoff, anything can happen to get into the matchup with the three seed while the other game is the four five. So start off with the seven seed Marple Newtown Black Sox. They won their first game of the season this week. They took down Aston four to three. It was a big win to kind of just give them some momentum because at this point they're playing in the wild card game and they're playing on the road no matter what. So to be able to kind of get that confidence is important for them. Alex Cornell had 12 strikeouts in that game. Really impressive performance over eight innings, some timely hitting, and that was good for them. And they got another win as well. They got a, a big win over Chester on Thursday as well. So to be able to get two wins in the final week is very important for them. And Chester currently sits at 5-15-2, so they have that slight advantage, but it's it's going to be these two teams playing the wild card game. And I will have much more of an in-depth preview on that 
in the next episode that'll come out most likely the day before the day of the wildcard game, depending on interviews and when it is. I would imagine it's probably going to be Tuesday, so we'll uh, keep an eye on that as well. Coming in in the five spot at the moment right now is the Narberth Mudcats. They have been playing a little bit better of late. They had a bit of a skid. They've been kind of streaky in both directions this year. A couple wins in a row, a couple losses in a row. So really not sure what their identity is, but they are currently sitting in the five spot, most likely headed towards a matchup with the Aston Valley Knights in the four spot. These teams played this week. Colin Porter, six shutout innings in an Aston seven to nothing win. So that is likely headed to the four five matchup. We'll talk about that more next week as well. Then, of course, we have Aston Valley sitting in that four spot at 9-9-1. Springfield Colonials currently sit at 13-8-1. They had a lot of games in the early part of the season that kind of slowed things down for them as the year went on. They they were a top, you know, the standings in in that top two or three for a long time, just based on points, how, how many points they had, just because of the way that the playoff structure works. But they're sitting comfortably in the three spot. They have mathematically clinched that, uh, according to my understanding. If not, they are magic number of one with four games to go. So Aston would have to win out and Springfield would have to lose out. So I I don't think that it's likely. I guess it's still possible. But realistically, we'll be having Springfield take on the winner of the wild card game. So we get to the top two. The top two teams in the league get the bye week through, obviously, the wild card game, but as well as the first round. So they are guaranteed a five-game series. Those teams consist of the Upper Derby Blue Sox, the defending Delco League champions. They sit at 16-6 and six with a doubleheader coming Saturday against two different teams, which we'll talk about a little bit in a sec, as well as the Wayne Baseball team sitting at 18-4. and four. Their magic number currently sits at one, and the reason that is is because Upper Derby has beaten them two out of three times this year. So in two out of three games, Upper Darby's knocked them off. That means they have the tiebreaker so far. So if Upper Darby were to beat Wayne on Saturday and have Wayne also lose on Friday, that one seed is theirs. But all Wayne has to do is win one of the next two games or have Upper Darby lose in their game on Saturday or Upper Darby is playing the second leg of their doubleheader against Marple. Two separate teams and one doubleheader is peak Delco League. You absolutely love to see it. But as of right now, Wayne and Upper Darby look like they're heading into the semifinals. They're guaranteed the five-game series. They're guaranteed the first two games at home. So they are going to enjoy a nice week off. All right, so we got some storylines to talk about here as we wind down on the regular season. So we'll start off. uh, Let's go in in the reverse order of the standings and talk a little bit about each team and kind of just what, you know, what's been going on with them lately and what gives them a chance to compete in this thing. So we'll start off with Marple Newtown. And the number one thing is pitching, because in a one-game wild card, they now have Chris Zepito, who is going to be a senior at Upper Darby. He's committed to NC State. He was doing a lot of different travel and showcase pitching teams during the summer, but he is now back and able to throw in the Delco League. He threw against us for Wayne, uh, I guess that was probably the last week, and you know he's got some zip. He's got some zip, but he's also got some very good off-speed pitches that he can throw at any time, and he is going to give them an advantage in that wildcard game. From what I've seen, he is better than any pitcher that Chester has. And Alex Cornell as well. He had 12 strikeouts against Aston Valley in that game. Now you have Jack Campbell, who just had six big innings in a win against Chester just yesterday. So the question here is, can Marple Newtown make a run? And I think the answer is yes, because when you look at Marple Newtown, so you look at a team with a record of 2-17-1, and you think this team doesn't have a shot. 
Like those are some awful results. Obviously, they're you know they know that just as well as anybody. But when when you really look at that, like look at it and break it down, they have lost 11 one-run games this year. So out of their 17 losses, 11 of them have been by one run. So the old cliche goes that you know good teams win close games but if you're that close that many times like there's something there they are a lot better than their record shows and from what i've seen i think they have a real chance against chester as well as in the three game series they're gonna need to get the bats going a little bit more that's not exactly a surprise they got a lot of young guys in that lineup but they can grind out wins and the biggest thing for them is gonna be not playing at the gauntlet because that is the worst infield in the league and the wild card game will be at Chester, very good infield. It plays to their strengths more. And then the second round would be against Springfield, but that's, you know, you worry about that a little bit later. So I like the direction they're headed. Get two wins this week, as I mentioned, and the pitching can carry them a long way. Uh, Chester, Jared Spraglot is a guy that we have played against, I believe, three times now. And I've seen him in some other games, so I assume he has the six appearances that he needs to play in the playoffs. And he's one of the most talented hitters in the league. He's a shortstop for the University of Richmond. Some of you might remember him from the Taney Little League team with Monet Davis back, geez, I'm getting old, probably like 2014 or 15, I think. I don't have the date off the top of my head, but it's been a little while since that team happened. And he's he's a heck of a player. He's very smooth at shortstop. He homered in the first game against us. Very aggressive swing. And he's a game changer in that lineup. I've talked about in different episodes this year that Chester is a lot different now than they have been in the past because in the past they've always been a very pitching heavy team that win or lose their games are always low scoring. Now they have a lineup with guys like Jared, guys like Mark Gervaisi, David Ludman. Like this this team can swing a little bit. Bob Williams, like it, they haven't I feel like they haven't put their full lineup together for many games this year. Like they've had a lot of games where you know, a quarter of their guys will show up or half of their, their dudes. And they're, they're waiting to put it all together. But the middle of the lineup, that 3-4 combo of Spraglot and Gervaisi can compete with anybody. I mean, Mark Gervaisi's hitting high 300s, low 400s. He's got a couple homers this year. Chester isn't exactly a, a short field. And he's he had a walk-off grand slam in a game against Marple early in the year that they're probably still thinking about in that Marple dugout. So, that's, that's a matchup that I'm very interested to see, and that's kind of what's been going on with them. Let's move on to the Narberth Mudcats here. Michael Anderson is a guy that I really want to talk about here. He's a senior from Bonner that just graduated. He'll be going to Rhode Island in the fall. And, you know, I, when I'm at school at, at State College, I, I've mentioned this before, I play for the club team at Penn State, so I'm not around Delaware County during the high school season. So I can kind of follow from afar. Like, I, I, I get the general sense of, you know, who's good, who's not, like, who's playing well. And I, I know that Bonner had an unbelievable season, and I really only knew about Anderson as a pitcher because he was you know, the ace or one of the two aces, one of the three aces, whatever you want to say about that loaded Bonner roster. But I didn't realize how good of a hitter he was. I, I saw him play against us in a game earlier in the year where Narberth was a little low on guys. So I thought, oh, maybe he's just, you know, helping out. Like he wants to just be in the lineup, get his swings in before he goes to college. And he had a monster game against Marble Newtown last Saturday, which featured a five-run comeback in the seventh inning. He had a game-tying homer and a walk-off homer in addition to a double earlier in the game. So he is establishing himself as one of the premier two-way players in the league. 
And another guy that I can't believe I'm even talking about this on the air right now is that Tyler Kehoe is actually a really, really solid pitcher for the Narberth team. I got a chance to watch a little bit of their game on, I believe it was Tuesday. It was the same night that Marple beat Aston. I made it to both games. How about that? Uh, it was on, I think it was on Tuesday that I got to watch Kehoe pitch against Marple. And, you know, he's got some zip. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's a Division One outfielder and he's a lefty. So he can bring it a little bit. But I think what was most impressive is, man, that off-speed pitch wasn't bad. It really wasn't bad. And and it seems like Narberth doesn't really have that many true go deep into game starting pitchers that they have in the past. So I, I think that it's going to be up to uh, to D-Bar, Steve DeBarbery, the head coach for both Bonner and for Narberth, to kind of put the right pieces together and to get as many innings out of these guys. They'll be in a three-game series first, but should they win that one, a five-game series, you're likely going to get two starts from Anderson, but you're going to have to kind of put the pieces together and, and see what happens there. But it's a good lineup. It's it's a good lineup starting to come together. Pat Toll, Wilfredo Mendez, they got a lot of dudes. Dak Barbet, like these guys can swing the bats. And now they, it seems like they're kind of shifting away from the Narberth playground to Bonner, which personally I'm a fan of as a lefty. I, I'm not legging out any inside the park homers, healthy or not. And there's like the trees in fair territory, the brick wall. It's a, it's a pain in the ass to park in. So I'm, I'm all in favor of going to Bonner. All right, biggest storyline I think of any team in the league is Chris Murphy is back for Aston Valley. And through the first part of the season, that didn't look like it was going to happen because Jared Carney wasn't there. Some of the other Delaware, Wilmington, you know, Goldie Beacom guys weren't there. So I kind of I kind of wondered, but he came out and pitched against us, I believe was his first appearance a couple weeks back. And I, I don't know, Aston doesn't use Game Changer, so I'm not sure if he'll have six appearances, but I think he probably will. I don't know why he would bother. He, he went into play right field against us last night and... I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume that he's going to have the appearances to pitch. And, you know, he's a game changer. And you hate talking about, you know, in absolutes. But, you know, when he is pitching, especially with the tough backdrop at, at Buggy Field with the white school behind it, man, he is hard to beat. In his two playoff games last year, in the semifinals and finals, I think he let up a total of maybe three hits across 14 innings in those two starts. He was a Houston Astros draft pick. He played at Millersville University, and he, he can still pump it. It, it. It's funny when you look at him, he he wears the pants like the kid that got cut in Little League. Like They're kind of like scrunched up a little bit, almost like ankle sock length high. And if you're going to wear it like that, that, it's one of two things. You are either the worst player on the field or you're the best player on the field. And when he pitches, he's the best. And when he is able to ramp it up a little more, because the same thing happened last year. He got, you know, hit a little a bit against Wayne in our game. And that same thing happened last year, but he's still kind of ramping back up. So in a three-game series, I will never say that it's a guaranteed win because the baseball gods don't like the guarantees, and I do not like to mess with them. But with that being said, you are going to need your starting pitcher to be almost perfect. You're going to need him to match Murphy in that game, knowing that, you know, you're probably not going to score at the absolute maximum, probably three runs, maybe two. So is Aston going to have him for the playoffs? It, it seems like it. And the rest of their rotation is nothing to scoff at as well. Roman Tazi, first team all Delco selection with Carroll, who will be going to Barton in the fall. Kyle Maxwell has been a great postseason pitcher in this league and, had a complete game shutout a couple weeks ago. 
in a three-game series, man, that's as good as a one-two-three as you'll find. You know, some of the same questions from last year will probably be here as well. Can they hit well enough to, you know, to support their pitchers? Brett Lesher, shortstop from the University of Delaware, has been a huge part of their lineup this year. He had a three-run homer the other day. He's a great hitter. He's a great fielder. He's tall. He's lanky. He's smooth. And you pair that with Sean Hout. You pair that with Brandon Cologne. Like this, this lineup is good, but I wouldn't call them great. I, I think that you know they're just they're going to need to be clutch. Then you know they're not a team that's going to be putting up 10, 15 you know runs a game. They are going to need to rely on timely hitting to be able to get these rallies going. So uh, I'm not. It's not that I'm I'm low on Aston Valley. It's like they know what they are and they know what they have to do. Is what it is. All right, moving on here. Springfield Colonials. Now, if you are a left-handed hitter, then the Springfield Colonials are not the team that you want to play right now because you look at their rotation. So it's a three-game series because they will not be getting the bye week. Dave Schumacher, lefty from Penn, having an incredible year. Andrew Cantwell, left-hander from Westchester, who made it all the way to the D2 World Series Final Four and pitched a great game along the way. Uh, Mike Smith, I almost said Matt Smith, Mike Smith, lefty from Washington College from Springfield High School. And then Troy Machete is, is an old Brandywine guy that's been pitching really well this year. And, you know, Steve Trainer likes his tall pitchers, I will say that. But, you know, the, ro- the rotation's there and the bats are definitely there. This has turned into a bit of a Penn farm system. He's got Sean Phelan, he's been raking all year. Cole Palace, unbelievable defensive infielder who's also been swinging the bat as well. And then you got Reed Farrell, who's been probably the best hitting catcher in the Delco League this summer. Garner Valley guy, who is, again, going to Penn. This team can swing it. There's there's no doubt about that. Jared Sweeney as well in the hot corner, a Lehigh University switch hitter. How about that? So th- this team this team is definitely one to mess around with. They just haven't been able to have that playoff success that they've been looking for. So they will likely take on the wild card winner. So we'll move on to the next team here. Upper Darby Blue Sox have brought in some arms. Tommy Kent, a lefty from High Point University that is heading to Monmouth next year. He threw on the mound. I was not at this game. Uh, I'll talk about a little bit more in a sec about the Big 26, but I was uh, there in Harrisburg this weekend, so I did not see that. But he absolutely dominated. He had a, a couple of walks, but I don't think he allowed a hit or a run against Wayne in four innings of work with nine Ks. They got Mike Costello, who is a Pencrest graduate, going to Millersville. Johnny Fitzpatrick, French Central graduate, going to Westchester. And the icing on the cake for Upper Darby, as everybody knows, is Johnny Gonzalez, the 49-year-old legend who is the World Series MVP last year for his heroic performance. He is still going. And they, they got other guys as well. Henry Dahl is a bit banged up right now. They got Ben Thorpe. They got Aiden O'Brien. They got Frank Parati. They got, they got some, some arms here. And the lineup is pretty much overall the same. If I'm not not mistaken, I honestly think I might be the only person in the Game 5 lineup last year for Upper Darby that is not still back with the team next year. I could be wrong on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure based off of you know my following along with the season, that is the case. Andrew Yates from Widener just always hits no matter what. Sammy Berman, a senior, a graduating senior from French Central's going to Hofstra, has been great in recruiting. He's been bringing a lot of his buddies in, and two more French Central guys. I think actually three more French Central guys on this team as well. And then the infield's as good as it's always been. Steve Tyson's a little banged up, so that hurts the defense a bit. He brought in Josh Hankins from Coppin State to play shortstop. And that just adds on to 
Matt Query, Max Anastasio, Luke Pascalia, and then Summerall at first base when Andrew Yates isn't there. So this is an offense that won the championship last year, and a lot of that was due to hitting. You know, we had some pitching, don't get me wrong, Tom Derrer, Johnny, of course, Luke D'Ambrosio, but like that team last year won because it could hit and it could field. At the end of the day, that was really what did it for us. So so the Upper Derby Blue Sox, they, they brought in some pitching reinforcements and, and are a very scary team to be to be dealing with right now. They only had one game this week, and they're going to play this weekend in that doubleheader, but then they're going to be off for a little longer. So I, I guess really the only concern for them would be kind of rust. You know, they I, I know that those guys like to hit you know, whether it's Marty Bur- Marty Berman in uh, Sammy's backyard or at O'Hara or whatever. So I believe they'll be ready. All right, last team here for the storylines is my current employer, if you want to call it that, because I also work for them as well. But that's the Wayne baseball team. Only have two games left, one tonight against Springfield, one tomorrow against Upper Darby. I think the biggest storyline for this team might be Luke Mutz because Luke Mutz is having an unbelievable season. He's hitting 483 which is obviously great, but there are other people near that average. It's the 1381 OPS that is really w- would give him my pick for MVP if I don't even know who picks it or how how it's picked or whatever. But it's it's five home runs, you know, which I believe is the the lead in the league and great defense. Whether it's second base or shortstop, he's fast, he's smart. Whatever you need, he's got it, and he's he's shown that so far this season. He was a third team All American with Swarthmore College this year and just a, a very fundamentally sound player to be around. But I think when you look at the Wayne team, the number one thing that stands out is the top two in the rotation. Because Ant Ely, who is a graduating senior from Abington High School, will be headed to Seton Hall in the fall. And Cam Mathis, who just graduated from Villanova University, have been unbelievable. They've been, for my money's worth, the best two one-two punch in the league. Ely has a 1.5 ERA, through 28 innings. Cam Mathis is right around there as well. He has got a 1.73. And those guys have been horses. And they are going to match up well with, with teams one and twos in the postseason. And the number three spot, Dave Ferguson from transferring from Pitt to Westchester, has shown flashes this year. His best start that he was able to put together was the Narberth game where he was thrown up behind the mound, still able to get out of the jam, mind you, without any runs. And then Aiden Weitzel from Widener, who did not pitch much for Widener this year because he was hurt, but he's starting to ramp it back up and he's looking good. And then Joe Peluso. Joe Peluso is a funny guy, but he has rebounded. You know, he got he got shelled in that first game of the year, first game back, who cares? But since then, he has only allowed three earned runs in the nine appearances since then. He's been rock solid out of the bullpen. He throws a bunch of really good off-speed pitches. He always locates, and I don't know, he's just a, he's just a funny guy. It's pretty much all I, all I can say there. But the Wayne lineup from... The one spot to the five spot has been absolute money this year because you start with Mutz, then you have Jay Starnish, graduated from Conestoga. He's headed to St. Bonnie's, Nate Sides, Stephen Wells, Billy Ford. Like those guys have been rock solid all year. And going into Devin Prep is going to be tough for teams as well. And that's that's pretty much it's you know, Wayne is always finding themselves usually in that top two spot, so they get to avoid the first round. And that rest really does pay off, especially with a lot of, I won't say old guys here, but we'll, we'll go with veterans on the team that could use that time off as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's feeling good. You know, I, I've tried to find the, 
balance between covering the league but also talking you know about my own team because i did it last year i was while playing for upper derby i did uh it was under the delco media group with which was what i did with my buddies before i kind of locked in and made it a bit more serious and and it's it's tough but i I feel like i'm unbiased enough that i can just kind of call it how i see it i won't really make like predictions and and stuff like with games involving us just because i don't need to give teams any bulletin board material but That'll, uh, that'll wrap up the Delco League you know, storylines, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about some other things going on in the area for Delco baseball. So we'll start off with the draft. We had three Delco natives that were selected in the draft, also one as an undrafted free agent. So we'll go in order of where they're picked. We'll start off with Nate Furman. He was a 2020 graduate of Monsignor Bonner before he went to UNC Charlotte. And he only played two years there because he is draft eligible because of his age. A great two years there with UNC Charlotte. He helped lead them to the NCAA tournament his freshman year. Had a 370-plus batting average this year. Was just a force in that lineup. And the kid just makes contact at all times. It's really, really impressive to see that. He got picked up by the Cleveland Guardians in the fourth round of the draft at 121st overall. Now, this was a guy who unfortunately lost his senior year of high school due to COVID, but... He was a first-team All-Philadelphia Catholic League selection in 2018 and 19. Also first-team All-Delco in that time frame as well. And he was playing up in the Cape Cod League this summer. For those who have not listened, I actually interviewed him a couple weeks back. You can find that, you know, I mean, I guess kind of wherever you found this, most likely, whatever uh, platform you use. But, you know, I, I really like the fit with Cleveland for Nate because Cleveland really is a team that doesn't care that much about power. They don't care that much about some of, like, the you know, the flashiness that other organizations do. They are gritty. They care about speed, contact, defense, and Nate can do all these at a really high level. So I, I really think he's going to get a good chance to succeed there. He's kind of just like another Stephen Kwan for those who follow Cleveland at all, you know, just bat on ball. And, and that's going to really, really help him out. Uh, next up on the list, we had Chris Newell, who was a Newtown Square native. He was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 13th round, 405th overall. Played his high school baseball at Malvern Prep, where he was three-time All-Interac, helped win three straight state championships, and he was originally drafted by the Cardinals back in 2019 when he when he graduated high school, decided to go to Virginia instead, and he was the ACC Freshman of the Year in a 2020 year that got you know shut down by COVID, of course. Bit of a slower start in 2021, but he lit it up in Omaha in the College World Series, really put his name on the map, kind of back on draft boards, and he hit 12 homers this year for Virginia in a regional run that ended in East Carolina, but again, I really like the fit here, because you look at what the Dodgers do is they develop these guys. They have unbelievable development system, and obviously it's a crowded outfield in Los Angeles, but they can help him out and kind of just boost his his value by cutting down the strikeouts a bit. I think that's what I noticed when I looked at his numbers that kind of jumped out a bit is he has the power. He has the speed, incredible defensive center fielder, only one error last year for Virginia, but you know, teams are going to want to cut down on the strikeouts a little bit. So helping him with that approach is, is going to be big for him. All right. Third up of the draft ease. We got Alden Mathis who was selected by the Baltimore Orioles in the 19th round at 557 overall. And, you know, they, they announced him as an outfielder because he was a two-way pitcher both at Marple and at Richmond. And he's been good at both. 
but I think teams just really like the bat. He had 10 home runs as a center fielder for Richmond. Great out there defensively. He's fast. He's got, obviously, as a lefty pitcher, he's got a live arm. But he hit over 340 at 344 this year. He had six triples as well, showing off that speed along with the 10 homers. And I'm assuming they are just taking him as an outfielder here. And let me also preface any of this with none of these guys have officially signed yet. I, I, I'm just going to proceed as if they are because I don't really have any like you know insider information about what they're going to do here. But Alden will be you know making his decision whether he wants to go sign with Baltimore or not. But I do I do like the fit here. Uh, they are a team that's definitely on the rise. They're playing great baseball this year. And I, I really do hope he gets the chance to pitch because, you know, lefties like that don't grow on trees. But regardless, I mean, he is the most, I guess, how do I phrase this, pain in the ass hitter I've ever played against because he was a sophomore when I was a senior at Strathaven. And even then it was like, we just can't, you know, we just can't figure this guy out. Him and him and Luke Cantwell always just terrorized us. But I'm excited to see uh, how, how that proceeds. And now this was not a draft selection, but... Billy Corcoran was signed to the Arizona Diamondbacks as an undrafted free agent. He played as well with Chris Newell on Malvern Prep, part of two of those state championship teams. And he went to the University of Pittsburgh for the last four years. He was a third-team ACC selection, and he had a lot of big-time starts against big-time teams this year. Miami, Louisville, UNC. Like, he's, he's playing the best of the best. Georgia Tech. And is producing and you know I got to say I'm a little bit surprised he didn't get drafted if if I had to guess it might be a little bit with the, the concern about velocity because you have a guy that I honestly think he might be listed at at 6'6 but he, he might be a little little taller than that and I guess teams want him to be thrown a little bit harder but his best pitch is his changeup absolutely devastating changeup and if teams can unlock a little bit more velocity he's going to be really really tough to pick up all right, that wraps up the four draft selections here. So now I want to talk a little bit about the Big 26 and you know what that event is because it's a really cool experience. We had two Delco guys, Drew Van Horn, going to be a senior at Garnet Valley. Sam Milligan going to be a senior at Strathaven. Got to participate. It's a three-game series at FNB Field in Harrisburg, which is the home of the Nationals AA teams, the Harrisburg Senators. And the weekend starts off with a wiffle ball game with children with special needs, both from Pennsylvania and Maryland, because the series is Team PA versus Team Maryland. So that's a really cool event. The kids love it. They they look up to these guys like they're big leaguers. So if there's anybody listening right now that is either next summer is going to be going into their junior or senior year, so I guess that would be uh, 24s and 25s for next year. Really cool event. Highly recommend it. Strathaven's coach Brian Feely is one of the skippers, as well as the North Penn and Springford coaches. A lot of college scouts there because I also help out, you know, running the Big 26 with with the staff. I get to sit up in the in the scouting area and, and kind of take some videos and do stuff like that. Westchester, Millersville, Delaware, uh, Penn State was there, you know, Seton Hall, like a lot of really good schools. Um, and the commits in the game as well to East Carolina, Florida State, UConn, VCU, a lot of really talented players. So highly recommend that. Almost as much for the experience as for the recruiting. All right, I guess the last thing I, I want to talk about here is I want to get a little bit back into the Phillies coverage because last summer I did a podcast with my buddy Drew Robinson called Breaking the Bank. Life happened. Drew got a big boy job. He moved out, just didn't have as much time to commit to it. 
And, you know, I miss talking about the Phils because the team this year is fascinating. You lose Bryce Harper to the big injury, and everybody kind of assumes, like, it's it's going down. And I won't say that it has, like, the Carson Wentz going down for the Eagles feel, but I will say that a lot of guys have stepped up. I mean, Kyle Schorber is having an unbelievable season in terms of power, and you know, I still think he tanked the home run derby to Albert Pujols, but, you know, whatever. And, and But, you know, the team, uh, do I think they're going to win the World Series this year? No, but... As someone who sits here at 23 years old, I have not seen the Phillies in the playoffs since I was in seventh grade. Now, I'm going to be going into, age-wise would be my, my sixth year, but you know, school-wise it would only be my fifth year of classes. And that is a long, long time to not have your team play postseason baseball. The only uh, active drought that's longer, I believe, is Seattle. So do I think they're going to make the playoffs this year? You know what? I do, actually. I really do think that they have what it takes to make a wild card game. And you know what? Once you get in that three-game series, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola in games one and two, I'd say right off the top of my head, the only team that I'd immediately take over them is DeGrom and Scherzer. But the Mets will realistically end up winning the division unless they choke like every year. So I guess it could be the Braves. But either way here, I like this team. And I think if they are able to stay in it until Bryce gets back, which as we sit here on July 22nd is only realistically like a month or so away. I I think the defense has improved. I think Alec Bohm looks a lot more comfortable at third base. I think Didi Gregorius, it is hurting him less to throw the baseball than it has. And while Bryson Stott might not really be hitting the way that the Phillies had hoped, he's a good second baseman. So I, I think that they, I don't know. I think firing Joe Girardi really turned the season around and I don't know if that's as much about Rob Thompson as it is about Joe Girardi because a lot of articles are written from people that don't watch every Phillies game like we do saying, oh, you know, firing Girardi is not going to help anything. Like the Phillies are just trying to have a scapegoat. Like, no, that dude sucked. That dude won a World Series because he had seven Hall of Famers on the 09 Yankees team. I'm he, He's the Doc Rivers of Major League Baseball, and it just wasn't working. I don't know if it was a clubhouse issue, like if they didn't like the guy, because he seems like a nice guy, but it's just like some of the moves he made, whether it be the double switches, the awful bullpen decisions, like we brought him here for bullpen management and it didn't work. And Rob Thompson seems like a guy that they just want to play for more. He's, He's a player's coach, if you put it like that. So they have a much easier schedule. They have over 40 games against losing teams and like 20 something against winning teams. And in in the years past, that might not be necessarily a good thing. But when you go out and sweep Miami in Miami to go into the break, a team that has haunted the Phillies for a long time, it's hard not to be optimistic. Would I be content with a season that ended with them making, now that there's extra wildcard teams, making a wildcard game and losing the first round? You know, I, I honestly think I would. I really think getting that playoff monkey off the back is huge because then you go into offseason where you have a little bit more money to spend some money coming off the books i i would love trey turner personally but you know there's gonna be a lot of competition i don't think they're gonna trade for juan soto i don't think they have the prospects i I think they can pay him if they want to i just don't think that they're gonna be able to compete with teams like either new york's san diego seattle st louis any of these teams that really want him and i don't know we have enough corner outfielders that can hit but can't field so I, i think that 
it's pretty un unrealistic. I I'd think the only way the Phillies would get Juan Soto is if whatever team trades for him, like St. Louis or something, isn't willing to pay him like $500 million, then in that case, the Phillies could jump in. But I'm optimistic towards the season, and once the Delco League ends and things kind of start to calm down, you know, I'd like to keep this going as long as I can. You know, this isn't my job yet. I, I highlight yet because I hope it is someday. But, you know, if there's people that want to listen to what I have to say revolving baseball, then, you know, I'll keep doing it regardless. I'm not taking any classes, potentially one in the fall as I rehab this ankle and, you know, I'm r running out of credit. So I'm pushing them to the spring to uh, try and make it back to the World Series with the old Penn State Baseball Club. Any any Delco guys listening to this, I know we got four Delco baseball players at the very least coming out for our team next year. You get the chance to play competitive college baseball and also go to a school like Penn State. I can't can't recommend that group that I'm with enough. And, you know, we had our, our D2 team lost in the national championship, our D1 team lost in the final four, and I'm hoping hoping next year is the year. But um, I think that's all I got for you guys today. I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to more of the interviews. I kind of just wanted my own airtime uh today i don't want this all to be about interviews because at the end of the day i want my voice to be heard just as much and i think there's a balance to be found between both of them so the next time you tune in here we should have some playoff previews some interviews and uh looking forward to it see you guys